So great to see y'all this morning. I can tell you may be disappointed when I walked out. You guys wanted to worship for about 15 more minutes. I could hear that back there already. I am so sorry to interrupt, but uh, we're going to have a good time in the Word. Amen. Some days I wish we could just stay here all day, and that's going to happen one day. God's just going to start moving in such a way that first service carries over to two, two carries into three, and we're just going to spend the day here. All right. I mean, welcome that. So start bringing your lunch. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Great to have y'all. Love you so much. So excited about Christmas. Love taking communion, hearing the Apostles' Creed. I love it. It reminds me of a pastor who was called to conduct a funeral at the last minute for a lady named Edna. And he didn't know Edna very well, and it was a very last-minute thing. He had to rush to the funeral home and do the funeral. And he didn't have time to do a funeral message, so he pulled out the last funeral he did for a lady named Mary. And he was going to be clever about it. He got on his computer. Are you aware of the search and replace feature where you can just replace a word with another word? So he did a search and replace, and everywhere it said Mary, he put in Edna. And he thought that'll work. So he took his notes, his iPad, you know, and he was going through the funeral for Edna. And he just did a wonderful job of it, you know, and he was preaching about Edna's life and all this kind of stuff. And it went so well till he got to the Apostles' Creed. And in the Apostles' Creed, he said, I believe in Jesus Christ, conceived by the Holy Spirit and born to the Virgin Edna. <laughs> and it all started downhill from that moment. I love that story. We're talking about that very Christmas story when Jesus was born to the Virgin Mary, and we're so excited to get into this story the second week now, and we're approaching it from kind of a different angle. We're trying to see the story through the eyes of the participants, because when you're an outsider looking in, the nativity scene does look like Silent Night. It looks like peace on earth. It looks like everything is nice and tranquil. And you picture this starlit night with shepherds and a baby. And it kind of sounds like a really nice camping trip in some ways. But to the people walking through it, it was traumatic and scary and disturbing and disrupting to their lives. To the people walking through the nativity scene and the Christmas story, it was a storm in their lives. So we've entitled this uh, series, this Christmas series, Peace on Earth. And I want us to understand what peace really is. Sometimes when we think about peace, we think of a nice day at the beach and it's a perfect 75 degrees, and the wind is blowing, and the waves are crashing, and we think that's peace. So if, if that's our peace, then what we're asking God to do is to get us out of difficult circumstances and to put us in situations that are easy. But the Bible doesn't teach that peace is God picking you up out of your storm and putting you in an easy situation. Peace is called a fruit. Called, Paul called peace, one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit, meaning it's something that grows in your life. It's something that as you follow Jesus, the Holy Spirit produces in your life. The fruit of the Spirit simply is being more like Jesus Christ. And when we look at Jesus' life, He had peace throughout His life, but He went through some terrible storms. If you want to have peace in your life, if you want to be like Jesus, let me just tell you, this journey of being like Jesus is not just sitting back watching God make your life easy. This journey of following Jesus means you're going to walk into some difficult circumstances. In fact, God is going to call you and demand for you to walk through some things that are not easy. 
This teaching out there and this thinking out there that when you follow Jesus, everything's just going to line up for you simply is not true. Because everything, according to the natural view, did not just line up for Jesus and become easy. I want to tell you what peace is. Peace does not mean that you won't walk through a storm. But here's what Jesus did. When Jesus walked through a storm, the storm did not take away His peace. But the peace in Him took authority over the storm. He's in a boat. He's in the middle of a terrible storm with His disciples. And He's asleep. Everybody say, yay, Jesus. Because when I'm in a storm, I need somebody on my boat that's not scared. I need somebody on my boat that looks at a storm and says, oh, I think, a na- I think I'll take a nap and come back later. Jesus did not let the storm get inside of him. His peace was so strong that he could stand up and say to the winds and the waves, peace be still. And the winds and the waves ceased. You say, now, preacher, that's Jesus. Well, he said this. He said that he gives us authority to do what he did. In fact, he said we would do and are called to do even greater things than he did. So, I believe God in this season, over this church family and everybody who will receive it, God wants to create an atmosphere of peace over us and within us that is so strong that we can walk into a storm and bring calm. That we can walk into a situation that we don't know what's going on, a situation that in times past would have freaked us out, but we can be calm and the peace in us overtake the storm. There are a lot of storms going on in the world today. You've been watching? A lot of storms going on in our nation today. As the people of God, we are not called to freak out with everybody else. I'm just preaching this morning. I may get to these notes at some point, but I'm just laying it on you this morning. As the people of God, we are called to be different. As the people of God, we're called to be separate. Are you ready for some preaching this morning? If you are just like everybody else in your life that doesn't know Jesus... Something's wrong. Don't say that to shame or condemn you. I don't say that to say you got to perform better. I'm saying this, there's more for you. Jesus offers you greater life than just being like everybody else. If you're freaking out like they're freaking out, Jesus offers you a deeper peace than you've ever experienced in your life. And that peace will not come because your circumstances calm down, because they won't. You ever tell people, well, when things slow down, we'll get together. You know what I've learned? They ain't slowing down. When things calm down, they're not calming down. What's got to calm down is what's in here. The peace has got to get in here and grow inside my heart and my mind and my spirit in such a way that everywhere I go, my peace is not threatened. I bring the peace of Jesus into situations and change atmospheres. Amen. Amen. Now i got to figure out where I'm going to jump into this sermon and finish on time. We're talking about a very challenging situation for a family. 
And today we're just going to look at one verse. Thank God we just got one verse today, right? I won't go long today. Luke chapter 2 and verse 7. And we're going to look at this verse through a unique perspective, I think. It says this. She get, let's read it together. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. I want to look at this verse today from the perspective of Jesus' father, Joseph. He was a unique character in the, situa- in the story. And not a lot of people give Joseph the credit he deserves. He was not Jesus' biological father, for Jesus was born of a virgin. Joseph and Mary had never gotten together, so to speak, before Jesus was born, and even for a time after he was born, because Jesus had to be, because of prophecy, born of a virgin. He had to have a miraculous birth. So Joseph was not his biological father, but he was his legal father. He was his guardian. In almost every other sense of the word. Joseph was his father, and he walked through this situation as a father. And I don't know about the rest of y'all, I think I may, but if my first baby is born into that, I've got a problem. If my first baby is wrapped up in rags, born first of all in a barn, and laid down in a trough that animals eat out of, I've got an issue with that. I remember my firstborn child. He was up here serving communion just a few minutes ago, so you know him too. I remember bringing that boy home. It's hard to believe when you look at your children taller than you are. And then you're like, I remember when they were like this. If you're a parent, you may remember the moment when you had your child and we had our child in the hospital and there's all these people around helping and you love that. I did. I, I wanted 15 people in the room at all times. Just pushing that button all the time. I don't know if he's breathing. Get up here. That's how I was. That's how we were with the first one because you've never done this before. Then they tell you, you got to go home. <laughs> I did not want to go home. I wanted to stay in the hospital. Because I needed the professionals around me to show me what to do. But they made us leave. <laughs> pull your car up. Dad, go get the car and pull it up here. We're bringing this baby and you're leaving. I remember the little car seat back there. And I remember them putting him in the car. And I remember driving off from that hospital feeling like, whoa, what is happening here? This isn't just me and my wife now. I've got to be a grown-up now. (laughs) I've got to take care of this child now. I've got responsibilities now. We're not playing games now. I've got a baby. Is that my alarm? I need to quit out there. (laughs) Is that you, Ken, out there? You owe me breakfast for that. You've got to take me to... We're going to Bojangles. You buy me a biscuit for that. Let that be a lesson to the rest of you. The price goes up. The more it rings, the more expensive the bill gets. So, (laughs) Where was I? We put him in the car. Right? Was I there? We're driving home. And the responsibility is so real. I know that Joseph felt the same way. Because the Bible says he was a just man. 
Joseph was not a careless father. Joseph was taking seriously his role as a man and as a father. This may sound old-fashioned, but it shouldn't be old-fashioned. Fathers, we are called to protect and provide. And, and can I just say this to all the men here? Do not be afraid to take your God-ordained role as a man in society. Do not be afraid of all the voices that want to take away your masculinity and say that it's all masculinity is toxic and bad. God has called men to be men, and don't be afraid of that. Don't be afraid of that. Don't have to be ugly about it, but don't be afraid of it. Joseph was a man who took seriously his role as a protector and as a provider. And all of a sudden, he's called away from home, as we talked about last week, to Bethlehem. He's on a six-day camping trip, essentially, when his baby is born. Don't you think Joseph and Mary had made preparations in their home to give birth for Jesus? Don't you imagine they had a, at least a space in the home set aside where they were going to lay their baby? When we prepare for a baby, we do the best we can because we want our children to have the very best that they can. And that is in the heart of a healthy man and a healthy father. He wants his family and his children to have the very best that he can provide for them. He does not want them to be struggling. So when Michael was born, we had a place prepared for him, a place for him to lay. We decided when Michael was born, we were going to use cloth diapers exclusively. <laughs> and we stuck by that for two days. Not even two days. But you know what we did? We didn't have, hardly have anything. We were pastoring a very small church, and they did the best they could to support us. But we didn't have a whole lot at all. But we decided we're going to buy him the best diapers we can. So we went and bought Pampers Premium. Do they still have that? Is that still out there? You can tell I'm far removed from that world now. We bought Pampers Premium when we couldn't really afford it. Now, by the time Daniela came along, great value all the way. <laughs> Poor second children, they've got it rough. <laughs> but the idea is Joseph, like any good father, wants the very best for his son. And what happened? Number one, Jesus was wrapped in strips of cloth. Essentially, he was wrapped up in rags. He was not wrapped up in the latest and greatest silk garments that might have been available to them. He didn't have a special uh, outfit like our children do. He was wrapped up. Now, this was common practice. They wrapped the children up. They swaddled them, which is a good thing, I'm told, for a newborn baby. They snuggled them up in cloth. But all they had to wrap him up in was strips of cloth. They were rags. Joseph and Mary, by the way, were poor. He had an occupation, he had a profession, he was a carpenter, some think he could have been a stonemason, but they were poor. We know from the offering that they offered for Jesus in the temple, they offered the offering of a poor family when Jesus was born. They didn't have a whole lot, but his baby essentially was wrapped in rags. 
Then he's placed in a manger. We have the beautiful nativity scene, and the manger just looks so clean and so nice and so beautiful. But the day before, a cow was eating out of that thing. Typical manger in the day was not a wooden thing like we see. It was typically carved out of stone. It was like a, 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 a hollowed out stone and they would, animals would come and eat out of that and they had to clean it out because anything an animal's eating out of, a lot of cows and horses and whatever else, is going to make a mess in there. And this is where Joseph's son was placed. He was also born in a barn. Not the latest and greatest hospital. What would this have felt like to Joseph? As a father who wanted the very best for his son, what would it have felt like for him not to have the best clothes, not to have the best garments, not to have the best place to lay him, certainly not to have the sterile, nice environment that he should have had? What was going on inside of Joseph? I'm sure there were voices in Joseph's head. Anybody know what I'm talking about when you... Anybody have voices in your head? You can raise your hand. You're among good company. We won't tell anybody else. But uh, first time guests was like, I knew these people were weird. They've got voices in their head. No, it's the voices that condemn you and the voices that lie to you and the voices that are always trying to put you down. I'm sure Joseph heard this lie from the enemy. And what we need to understand, these are lies from the enemy that we have to cast out of our lives. I'm sure Joseph heard the lie, you're not good enough. You ever felt like as a parent, you're just not good enough? Can I see some hands? How many parents have ever felt like your kids do something crazy? Your kids do something that you taught them not to do? And you just think, that's funny, I know, but, but there's also something in here. And there's that voice that says, you didn't do a good enough job. If you had been better, this wouldn't have happened. Can I see any hands? And I've been there. Been there many times in my life. I have to say, i got two fantastic children who have not given me many opportunities to do that, and I thank God for them. I really do. My kids are just incredible. I love them so much. So many times in my life I've heard the voice, you're not good enough. One of the most terrible times, I hesitate to share it, but I, I think I will. I've had at least two occasions when young men that I was giving counsel to ended their lives. Two of them were very close together. And I went through, in that season, one of the darkest times of my own life because I thought, I've been talking to both of them. And I heard the voice, it was screaming in my head from the devil, screaming to me, if you had been a better pastor, this would not have happened. I don't tell you that feel sorry for me because certainly the families bore a great way to that. I just want you to identify with that today and understand we all hear that voice that says you could have done better. 
Joseph likely stood back on the scene and said, wow, I should have done more. I should have provided better. That voice is a lie from the enemy. See, what God was doing in this situation was working out a beautiful plan that would make Jesus an incredibly appealing Savior in so many ways. You know, our Savior wasn't born in a palace. If he'd been born in a palace, I'd have a hard time relating to him. Most of us would. He wasn't born with a silver spoon in his mouth. He wasn't born to the highest echelon of society either. If he had come to the highest and the greatest and been born to a king in the palace, the message that went out to the world would be, the rich, the advanced, the higher levels are welcome in the kingdom. But no, he came to the lowest family in the lowest circumstances to a little town that nobody had really gave any weight to he came in the most humble circumstances, and throughout every bit of this, God was working out His plan. But understand that. We, understand this. We are 2,000 years on the other side of it, and we can understand it now. Joseph could see none of this as he walked through it. And he says, maybe I'm just not good enough. I have a list of confessions that I make. And that's a good thing for me. I have a whole list of confessions I make that I need to make every day. And they're placed in my life strategically against the lies that the enemy tells me. And one of the confessions that I make every day is this. My value does not depend on my performance. My value comes from God's love for me. Anybody need that one in your life? I'm, a, I'm just bearing my soul here this morning, so please help me. I'll leave on a Sunday sometimes, and I'll beat myself up all the way home because I wish I'd said something different, and I wish I'd done. I still hear that. I'm 54 years old. I've been preaching, I'm pastoring almost 30 years now, and I still hear that voice. More people would have gotten saved if you'd have done this. And maybe six people got saved that morning. And I'll forget about the six because I'll think if I'd done this better, it would have been ten. That voice is relentless. And that voice is lying to you. Your value comes from how much Jesus loves you. And what the Father gave up for you. It does not come from your performance. So Joseph is facing the lie. You're just not good enough. Then there's another thing that happened here. In the verse it said this, there was no room for them in the inn. There was no lodging. They were cast out. The next time you look at a nativity scene, and I love nativity scenes. I'm getting one for Christmas this year, beautiful nativity scene. Honor my mom, I got a nativity scene for Christmas this year because she loved them. Look at that nativity scene, and I want you to remember this when you look at it. Joseph and Mary had just been rejected by a whole town. You've got a woman. This isn't just any couple passing through town needing a room. You have a mother 
who is about to have a child could have been in labor at the moment. And the whole town, essentially, I, I imagine, everywhere they went said, no, there is no room. Finally, an innkeeper said, you can stay in the stable with the animals. I love Christmas pageants. Do you love Christmas pageants with little kids in them? The, I always go for, to see what goes wrong. Because <laughs> I know what's supposed to happen. But what's fun about Christmas pageants is when they get messed up. This one church, true story, had a Christmas pageant. There was a young man in the church named Harold. And Harold uh, was not good at school. He, he just, he just uh, was failing at school and he couldn't do some things the other kids could do. And he struggled with that. And they loved Harold so much, they wanted to find him a place in the pageant that he could do it, you know. And there just weren't too many places where he would be able to make it happen. They had a lot of lines, and he couldn't remember a lot. So they gave him the role of the innkeeper. And they said, Harold, all you got to do is say this. Just say, there's no room in the inn. That's all you got to do. So he practiced and practiced and practiced. He wore out his family with it. You know, there is no room in the end. He'd come out of the bedroom in the morning. There is no room in the end. Finally, he got it, and he's ready, and he's there. And so they put him up in the end. It's the big night. Church is packed. Everybody's there. And Joseph and Mary come up, and they knock on the door, and Mary's so sweet. She says, is there room, sir? And Joseph is pleading, sir, my wife's about to have a baby. And Harold just nailed it. He said, there's no room in the end. And he slammed the door. Mary and Joseph go walking down the aisle, and Mary overacts a little bit. She's like, oh, where are we going to stay? We can't. I mean, Mary's just wailing, and Joseph doesn't know what to do, and they're going down the aisle. Harold couldn't take it anymore. He burst out of the door, and he said, come back. You can stay in my room. <laughs> he either ruined or made the pageant, and I would say he made it, right? I'd go on that side of it, but... They had no room for them. Have you ever felt like you didn't belong? You won't get a lot of hands raised on that one because people dealing with that don't feel like they belong. They don't feel safe anywhere. That's big for somebody in the room right now. I just felt that when I said it. It's not in the notes. You don't feel safe anywhere you go. And that's a spirit that you've got to be delivered from. Sorry I got spooky on you. But I'm not. There's a couple spirits that like to attach themselves to our... There's several... But in this situation, there are demonic spirits that want to attach themselves to your life because you've been somewhere that wasn't safe. Some of you were raised in a situation that wasn't safe. And everywhere you go, you feel unsafe. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, that spirit has no authority in this place. And it has to leave your life right now you are free right now. You're free. That spirit is gone. Reject it. They didn't feel safe. They didn't feel like they belonged. And that tends to go hand in hand with that. You don't feel safe. And because you've been rejected somewhere, 
you can welcome a spirit of rejection into your life. You know what that looks like? That looks like everywhere you go, you don't fit in. And you say, why is it I never can fit in? Can I tell you something really nice, but really cutting at the same time? I want to be nice about it, but I want to help you. When you welcome a spirit of rejection into your life, it emanates off of you. And without knowing it, you're telling other people verbally and non-verbally, stay away. It's the person who comes to church and sits back and won't talk to anybody and won't make any effort to connect, and then they say the church is not friendly. I know it's funny, but it's not. Because that person has a spirit of rejection. They're just waiting on the next person to dump them. So they preemptively keep everybody out here. We're doing some Holy Spirit surgery this morning. and oh, It's letting in the notes, but here we go. Joseph had to feel that. He had to feel like I don't belong. In Jesus' name, a spirit of rejection has no authority in this place. There's something powerful about place. Had a guy come to me for counseling months ago, and his problem, he told me, he said, I've got voices telling me to kill myself, voices telling me to hurt others, voices telling me, voices telling me I'm no good. And he said, I can't get away from them. And he came up to my office and he sat down and we talked for about an hour. And he said, you know something, Pastor Andy, I haven't heard any of these voices since I walked in this building. And I said, this building belongs to Jesus. And none of those voices have any authority. When you walk on this property, the devil has no authority even on this. I believe that. I believe that with all my heart. So that spirit has no authority in your life this morning. The spirit of rejection has to go in Jesus' name. Amen? The Bible says this. Paul said it in Ephesians. This could be one of your confessions. Those of you that that spirit's been driven out of your life right here this morning, you need to get a confession in your life to drive it away every morning and to not give it a place to get back in, essentially what you're doing. A confession can shut the door. Paul said in Ephesians, I am, we are accepted in the beloved I'm accepted and I'm a part of God's family. If you've been coming to Upward and you feel like you just haven't fit in yet, let me tell you what, welcome to the family this morning. Welcome to the family this morning. When we put it on the signs, you belong here, we don't just mean, we mean when you're here, you belong. Amen. I'm not good enough. I don't belong. I'm going to tell you this, we're going to have to learn as a Christian to deal with rejection because it is going to happen. It's going to happen increasingly so as we move forward in God's plan. Can you hear me? We're going to encounter, and I believe God's going to do some big things. People say all the things going on in the world. God hadn't had His say yet. Well, he's had his say, but he hasn't accomplished all he wants to accomplish yet. It's done in Jesus. We have yet to see it. God's going to do some big things. We could have some rough ride ahead as Christians. How do you know, Pastor, you're going to deal with rejections? Well, we follow Jesus. 
who Isaiah said, He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. Jesus was despised and rejected. And if we follow him, we're going to encounter some being despised and rejected in our lives. We have to learn how to deal with that and realize we're accepted in Him, we're accepted in the family, we're accepted in our Christian brothers and sisters, and we can go out and face rejection without letting the Spirit get inside of us. Amen. Good preaching, Pastor Andy. Good stuff. Good stuff. I want to give you a verse... This whole thing happened in this way because God wanted to present His Son to the earth as a servant. He's a king, but He came in the form of a servant. Paul writes this about Jesus in Philippians 2. It says, Though He was God, He did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. You know what that means? When Jesus came in human form, he laid aside his privileges as God. It says, he took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Therefore, God elevated him. You see that? He humbled himself and God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names. That's why he did this. In the middle of it, Joseph could not see it. But he did what? He trusted in the Lord with all his heart and leaned not on his own understanding. Did you do your homework last week? In all his ways, he acknowledged him and he shall direct thy paths. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Someone said this at a funeral yesterday, and I thought, man, I needed to end the sermon with that. John 13, Jesus said, you do not understand now, but you will understand later. In the meantime, trust him and throw off the voices of the devil that are lying to you in the name of Jesus. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for your precious people here today. I thank you for the word. Your word is life. It is light. It is power. In you was life, and the life was the light of man. God, we've experienced your life and your light in this place this morning, and we thank you for it, Jesus. Lord, I ask you today in your mighty name, we have taken authority over the enemy and his lies to these precious people. We believe you to complete that work as daily they learn to take up the word and turn him away in Jesus' name. Heads bowed and eyes closed. If you're here this morning, you're watching online, you would say, Pastor, today I want to say yes to Jesus Christ as the Savior, Lord of my life. Can I see your hand this morning? Can I see it up high? Thank you so much. Anybody else today? Anybody else? Anybody else? Saying yes to Jesus. Yes to Jesus. Praise God. Awesome. 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 I want to pray right now. I'm going to ask you, and those of you watching online, to pray this prayer with me right now. Open up your heart to the Lord. Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me, for dying for me, for showing me my value by giving your life. 
I receive you today into my life. I repent of my past. I turn from failure. And I ask you to come in. Clean me. Wash me. Change me. Make me the person that I really am that you've called me to be. I don't have the strength to do any of this. I lean completely on you. From this day forward, I'm yours. Amen. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to this week's Upward Journey. If you would like to find out more about Upward Christian Fellowship in Flat Rock, North Carolina, you can look up our website at ucf.cc or like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Upward Christian Fellowship. We invite you to join us next week as we continue the Upward Journey.